0: Not long. Yes, because no lie can live forever. Yes, sir. How long? Not long. How long? Yes, because you shall reap what you sow. Yes. And yes, him unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? Yes, not long. Yes, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How long? Not, not long? not long. Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the I like where the video cuts off. This is one of Dr. King's most famous speeches. It cuts off just before he uh, reads the line, which is uh, from an old hymn that's taken from a passage in Revelation, where he goes, Because my eyes have seen the glory. It stops just before that. I'm not sure what the, the filmmaker's intent was with that. But what I liked is that it stops just for a moment before he then gets the vision and shares the vision of things being put back together. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the in-between. I want to talk about um, the gap between the question that Dr. King's asking, how long, how long, how long tears, how long crying, how long the ache, how long the pain, how long? And then a vision of, of uh, a vision of things being put back together because this is where we live, Right? Um, how many of you would, would define yourself as a, as a crier? My crier's in the room. Yeah. Okay, so this, this question is going to get me in a little trouble. Uh, maybe even for you you, you, you don't define yourself on this binary, but I, I want to just do it anyway because I have some stats for you. How many men describe themselves who identify as men who describe themselves as criers? Yeah. So that's statistically, that's even less, actually, than the stats. The stats are pretty overwhelming. Most of the the, studies that I went and found say that women cry much, much, much more than men. Now, there's a lot going on in that, how much of that is social conditioning. There's even one study that tried to, like, debunk the social conditioning, saying, no, no, women just have, like, shallower, like, tear ducts, which is not a thing. (laughs) It's just, there's... If you, if you think that all research is like neutral, like just know, I hope you all are mature enough to know that's not a thing. Like, like the, the best research out there tries its best to be neutral, but there's always a little edge and agenda floating around. Anyway, it's fascinating when you read up about crying. I didn't really know a whole lot about why we cry. Yeah, I know why I cry. I know why I, my, my friends cry. I've wondered why my wife doesn't really cry that much. Just kidding. Not really, actually. Actually, I want to tell you a story about this. I got, this, uh, I got this, um, this text from her the other day, this picture. This is what it says. She just texted me this out of the blue, no context, and she goes, and this is what it reads, something she found online. It's a, it's a poem, it's a writing, and it's called Deleted Sentences. And so it says, Dear husband, dear lover, dear darling of my heart, No, I do not want to attend the barbecue scheduled cruelly over nap time. I do not want to go to the recital either. Can you tell your sister that too? In the morning, I saw you dancing with our daughter, and for a moment, I almost cried. I hate when people say, I almost cried. Why even mention it at all? What time will you be home? What time do you think you may be home? What time should we wait for you outside on the lawn while the pasta boils over and the baby cries because he misses you? Oh, before I go, what time will you be home? Sometimes I wonder what would happen if you died and I had to write a eulogy while lost in my grief. What would I say? And who would take out the trash bins on dark Sunday nights or hold our children while they cried through fever dreams? What time will you be home? I I immediately started to cry. I, I have adopted the the... the, the the bold and the proud mantle of the crier in the family. That's why I make the joke about my wife. But Corey sent me this picture just as proof that she was crying too. (laughs) She sent this to me. She'd be horrified if that picture were on the screen. She's not here right now, so you can click off that. We... uh. I've been walking through some things recently with some friends who um, just sort of thrown everything they've ever believed out the window and it's killing the people around them. Never thought I'd even make it to this point for a number of reasons, but I have friends that are about to hit midlife crisis. Our community this year has been rocked by divorce. Many of us in this room are going through heartache Real heartache. Panic attacks. I don't know if they're like on the rise or I'm just around more people having them or what's going on, but it just seems like they're everywhere. Crippling anxiety, hopelessness. And I share that poem because that poem where I burst into tears was it was this weird, like it was like joyful and, and so sad at the same time. Because that is what it's like to live between the how long, how long will things go like this and the gap between that and but my eyes have seen a vision of everything being put back together again. We live there in the in-between. We live in the middle of a poem like that where we're crying because we're somehow so full of joy and appreciation in that poem for a spouse. And then we're also like owning the reality that we have a very finite amount of time with them. A long enough timeline, the survival rate of everyone drops to zero. You ever told someone to stop crying? Doesn't usually go well. I've never been tempted to do this because I have always been a little bit too in touch with my emotions. Uh, but since having children, I have absolutely started to do this. Any parents just been like, just stop crying. And you like, want to raise like, emotionally healthy children, so you're like tempted to not say that, but they're crying over like the sequined dress. And you're like, no, 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 we in our family, we don't cry about sequined dress. And then, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm having a whole internal messed up dialogue of like, no, I should just say that, and that's real pain to her, and that's okay that she's crying over that. No, you just need to not cry about... But I have absolutely said to my wonderfully sensitive and emotionally dialed-in daughter you need to stop crying about eggs. We don't cry in the Mook family about eggs. You don't even need context for that story. We don't ever hear that in the scriptures. If you're new to the Bible, um, I I don't know what sort of vision you have, whether it's this life-giving book that has inspired the Dr. Kings of the world and or it's a book that it has, you've just attached it to people who have treated it poorly and misused it for crusades and oppression. But in the scriptures, um, it was so fun to do a deep dive, like a big Bible study on just tears. And you don't hear knock it off. You don't hear just dry up your tears. You don't even hear, hey, just look at the bright side. We get things like this. I see them. We get things like this, I, I care about them. And, and then we get some bold claims that I'll get to at the very end. I see them. There's a story of, of uh, this woman, Hagar, who uh, is in the wilderness of Beersheba and, and God draws near to her in the midst of her pain and you hear, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. When Hannah weeps bitterly outside the temple of the Lord, God notices and remembers in 1 Samuel 1. We hear she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And David, who has a lot of reasons to be weary, if you're familiar with the Scriptures, he's exhausted and beat down, and God didn't become weary of listening to him, even as he becomes kind of weary with himself. We're here in Psalm 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of my grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. David has some confidence that God sees tears. The God of all comfort keeps watch over your weeping. In Psalm 56, 8, I get this really funny verse I had never paid attention to before. The psalmist writes, you have kept count of my tossings. I like that translation. I kept count of my my tossings, my tears, my ache. You put my tears in your bottle. A message in a bottle, but like your tears in a bottle. I don't know why, I just thought that was... Psalm 121.4, no matter how much of your anguish has gone unnoticed by others, not one moment has escaped the attention of the God who doesn't slumber or sleep. God says to King Hezekiah, so he could say to each of his children, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, God says, I will heal you. I have seen your tears. When you have a friend who's crying, when you're the one in anguish, I don't know about you, but all I really want, first and foremost, is just to be seen. I, I, I want someone to acknowledge that the pain is real. That's what it means to be seen. Two, God cares about them. So in a culture that prizes strength and grows so uncomfortable, i found, with prolonged grieving. Like, we are just, we want to, and it makes sense, we want to get over it, we want to get through it, we want to move on, we want to believe we've dealt with it. So many of us respond to our own tears just with with an internal, existential, like, get over it. And so, just as a reminder to those of you who need to be reminded of this, like, God sees with a fatherly compassion and draws near, it says, to the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds. Jesus says, blessed are those who weep now. There's some blessing. God is, is, is with you in the weeping, for, you, for you, you see and are experiencing what's really going on in the world. Jesus uh, joins a crowd outside of a town and watches a widow weep over her son's body. And it says in Luke 7, verse 13, that he had compassion on her. Later, when Mary fell apart at Jesus' feet over the death of her brother, the man of sorrows went one step further, and it says one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Just two words Jesus wept. Jesus, who we believe as followers of Jesus is God incarnate, is the mysteries of spirituality and all of that made known to us in flesh and blood? God's not a mystery. That the God of the universe has compassion and weeps. And then this is the story, right, of Lazarus where God, Jesus, then in this moment, heals Lazarus. God does not take a shortcut through anyone's grief in this story. The same God who raises the dead first stops to be with us, to linger with us in our tears. It's just so important to rename these simple truths about the Christian story because too often, I don't know about you, our temptation is to slide into sort of God as genie or God as life force out there that we just sort of dial into. But God as father and God as friend, those are the actual images we get. and This is the picture that we get and the stories that we get of the person of Jesus. Psalms, again, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. God draws near. If I could impart a little bit of faith to a few of you this morning, whatever it is you're going through, maybe it's not full-fledged tears, but God draws near. God draws near to you. God is close to the brokenhearted. God mourns with those who mourn. Jesus weeps alongside you. In fact, uh, just as a little tangent, the only time in the scriptures that I could find that God is not empathetic, does not see or care or come alongside tears in the Bible— is when you're crying around something that has to do with idolatry and comfort that is not of him. There's this great passage in Numbers I won't get into, but basically it's just an image of basically everybody, these people that were called to be a blessing to the world that God has rescued out of slavery, and they're having a tough moment and a difficult moment because they're in the wilderness, they're in the in-between. It's a great picture of where we are now in the world, Like, we have been rescued and redeemed, but we're not quite to the promised land yet. They're in the in-between, and they go, oh, man, you know what? At least back in Egypt, and then they start listing off food. Like, at least we had, like, French toast and pancakes and bacon. It wasn't that. But at least we had steak. At least we had wine. Yeah, we were enslaved. Yeah, we weren't really free. Everyone remember the Matrix? I have to say this now, it's like a 20-year-old movie. Can you believe that? There's that great scene in The Matrix where basically the lead character can choose to wake up to reality or stay in blissful ignorance, but basically be enslaved and just not kind of really know it. And so I don't remember which color the two pills were, red and blue or whatever. It's like, you can take the pill. It it, it was almost like these, these first people got delivered out of slavery. They took the pill that was like freedom, and then they were like halfway into this journey, and they're like, too hard too much, going back, I would like to go back, could I, like, could I vomit that up and take a different pill? That's the only time where they are crying out to God, sad, God's like, "Uh uh-uh. There is no comfort for tears that are dialed into something like this. Some of us are crying about all the wrong things. That's a sermon for a different day, though. God draws near, he sees them He comes close to the brokenhearted, which brings us to our text today. In Eastertide, we have this uh, this title that we love to give this teaching series. We've done this for the last four years, maybe. It's just called Raise Life. What does it mean to raise life in a culture of death? In other words, what does it mean to be Easter people in a Good Friday world? And so we zero in on this because when Jesus rises from the dead, we all of a sudden shift out of like back then Bible time that feels sort of for some of you like disconnected to like right now. We are living on this side of the cross and the resurrection. All of a sudden the time goes, okay, we're living in that moment where those of us who are Christians, we actually believe there's a whole new world breaking forth right here in the midst of this one. I know it sounds like a lot for those of you who are new to the faith, but this is what we believe. The kingdom of God is near, Heaven is is like permeating the cracks that like flowers are coming up through the pavement. And as hard as things get, God's actually at work putting it all back together. And though death still right now seems to be prevalent, it won't have the last word. And so we live as those living eternally, not as those living as if we're fearful of death. This is the world that we're in. This is why we pray in providence as it is in heaven in Newport as it is in heaven, on the east side as it is in heaven. This is why we play on earth as it is in heaven and we step into this reality because we are on the other side of the resurrection. And so we're zeroing in on these stories. What does Jesus say? Like, let's go over his words as he rises from the dead and is announcing, oh, it's all gonna change now. And one of the first things that he says when he gets out of the tomb is this story. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. So she is right now weeping. She has discovered that the tomb, Jesus is not in the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, Jesus turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Let's stop here. Why? My first response would have been if I were Mary, seriously? That's not a helpful question to actually ask in general when someone is crying. Hey, why are you crying? Just not, not advised. Let's fill in the gaps a bit. Well, first, because everything's fallen apart. Everything. She's been walking along faithfully. The Messiah, the man who has healed her and set her free, who she's given her life to, who's supposed to be the Messiah, the one who's going to put it all back together, however that happens, is going to be the one that conquers death, who's going to remove like the, the yoke of slavery, who's going to set us free, has died. I gave my life to this person, and it's over. We were wrong. And to make matters worse, I can't even grieve right. When there's an awful tragedy, and I pray this has not happened to you, um, but gosh, my, my, my prayers are with you if it has Like, this is why it's so critical when there's like awful, awful tragedy where they can't like locate all the bodies. It's so critical, and why people feel a sense of closure when they can like go to a graveyard or when they know like the body is back in, in the ground. It's not some morbid thing, it's closure. It's closure. Now she can't even rest well because she doesn't know where the body is. why? Why am I crying? He says, who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, which is John's way of pointing back to the, to the Garden of Eden, like new creation's about to start. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I'll get him. So thinking the gardener's moved the body, or something weird has gone on, and then... Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, then Jesus calls her by her name. And apparently, the resurrected Jesus in this new, like, heavenly body that is, like, both fleshly but not, and of this world and redeemed, or whatever things are, like, cloaked and mysterious and we can't make sense of, her hearing Jesus call her name is all she needs to go. Wait, what? In movies, when they try to depict this mystery, right, it's like he has a hood on. It's like he's like all dark and covered, and it's like, Mary. <gasps> and then, of course, he's white and Swedish, and it's really confusing at that point. But uh, it says to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which is like this affectionate way like, my teacher, my teacher, my Lord, my friend, my sage. Jesus calls her by her name. And in that moment, Mary realizes that the story isn't over. She realizes all of the promises that she thought had died with Jesus. The world would be put back together that all would be renewed and restored and alive and made well. All the things she thought was in the grave are not any longer. See, a few hours before Jesus was betrayed, tried, beaten, crucified, he told his disciples this, truly I tell you, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament as the world rejoices, but you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Your sorrow will turn to joy. And he gives this example. He says, look, it's sort of like this. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. I was reading this passage to my wife, by the way, who is eight months pregnant, in bed last night. I'm reading this to her, and she's like, oh, gosh, I need need that. But I think Jesus is not quite strong enough here about just how much pain and grief and sadness. She's just like, get this thing out of me. That's Dr. King's speech, by the way. My wife's tearful words of like, I am just done with this pregnancy. That's what he's referring to. And that's what the scriptures are referring to. How long? How long? How long? And Jesus is, is, is addressing the how long question. Sort of. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. I will turn your tears into shouts of joy. Tears will dry up, and grief will lose its grip. Paul later says things like death has lost its sting. He says, every tear you shed is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. One transliteration puts that verse like this. Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things that we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see will last forever. Our tears turning into shouts of joy doesn't mean we stop grieving. Doesn't mean things are hard, but it does mean that we cling to God and his promises through the pain and hold fast to an understanding that God has got this. That's what Christian hope is. It's not hope like wishing well, like, man, it would be, I hope things work out. Always when hope is described in the Bible, it is one of great confidence of, I know that God has got this and i don't know how it all is going to play out i will wipe them away i see them i care for them i'm going to turn them into shouts of joy on this side of the of the ache and then lastly these four things that we see in the scriptures about how tears are dealt with the last one is my favorite i will wipe them away in that day, God himself will stoop down to each of his grieving children and somehow, some way, he will dry up tears forever. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Amen. Amen. Like, that, that's good. If that's true... That changes everything now. And if you don't see that, I I, I, I pray just take a few seconds and just process for a minute how knowing God's got this, how knowing things will get put back together does not diminish the immediate ache and pain and grieving, but it changes literally everything about how you see that death, that ache, that heartache, that anxiety, that restlessness. Allow it to soak in and allow it to permeate all of it. And I promise you, it will begin to lift you. It will allow you to see how Jesus can say, no, 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 all those tears, they can be turned to shouts of joy. Psalmist says, for you have delivered my soul from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. living. The promise here is that tears will become the stuff of old fairy tales. This is why Dr. King could say what he said from his speech. I know you're asking today how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men, darken their understanding, and drive bright eyed wisdom from her sacred throne? Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice lying prostrate on the streets of Selma and Birmingham and communities all over the South be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among children of men? Let me pause. See, the how long is not just the personal ache and pain. The how long has everything to do with the systems of oppression that still pervade our world. The systems of brokenness and the ache that we see around us. Somebody's asking how long. How long will justice be crucified and the truth bear it? I've come to say to you this afternoon how difficult the moment how frustr- however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long. It will not be long because no lie can live forever. No lie can live forever. No lie he's talking about that men are not created equal and live forever. That can't live forever and nor can the lie that death has the last word. Get that lie out of your heart and it will change everything about what you are going through. How long? Not long. Truth forever on the scaffold. Wrong forever on the throne. He's speaking to people who are under the boot of oppression. And he just says, you know that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. You know that God is putting it back together again. How long, not long. It says, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He reads this hymn. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Jesus Ask Mary, why are you crying? Maybe what he's really asking her is, are you looking at the grave or are you looking at me? Are you looking at the grave or are you looking at me? Look up. It's difficult as a pastor in moments like this to sort of thread the needle between just continuing to go back and forth because I don't want anyone to miss Jesus wept. He sees your pain and he sees, sees your tears. He comes alongside you and acknowledges that this side of eternity, this side of the renewal of all things, there is much to weep about. Pain is real. Yet at the same time, Jesus is saying, Get your eyes off the grave. Get your eyes off the grave. Why are you weeping? It's all going to change. So, this why are you weeping is not an invitation to everyone in this room who is in a season of tears. No, 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 no. It's all the questions that are underneath that. It's all the questions that are bound up in the why are you crying. All the statements that are bound up in why are you crying. May you hear Jesus say, I know things are hard that I've wept too. Knowing that the crying stops. Knowing that the tears will turn to joy. And so may this question wake you to the God who says, Mary. May this question wake you to the God that says, Mary, the God who calls you by your name, who restores your hope and your trust and a vision of the new tomorrow. Getting your eyes off the grave is about seeing where this thing is going. God who will make you whole again for the sake of the world around you. How long? How long does not diminish the reality of what's happening now? We see Jesus, risen from the grave, saying to us, Not long. Not long. Jesus, I pray for my sisters and my brothers. Friends, my neighbors, loved ones. Strangers in the room are battling We heed, Lord, <laughs> those two words more than we ever have before, knowing they are loaded with hope, loaded with rest, with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Those two words, Lord. us for a few minutes and maybe you're the one with the tears and maybe it's the, uh, the people around you with the tears to allow this this hymn and allow this moment of reflection to allow God to speak to your heart to be open to what God has